Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities need it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. I'm your co-host, Debbie Cox-Bolton. My guest today is Jessica Mackey, the Vice Chair of the Richland County Council in the beautiful state of South Carolina. It was really special to get to talk to Jessica today during Women's History Month about the importance of having diverse voices in government. Jessica herself made history in 2020 as the youngest African-American woman ever to be elected to her council. Jessica and I talked about her transition from local government staffer to elected office, why it's so important not to just make sure government works well, but to communicate with people about what's working, as well as about South Carolina's important and possibly evolving role in the presidential nominating process. I hope you enjoy. All right, Jessica Mackey, welcome to An Honorable Profession. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie, and glad to be here. So excited to talk to you today. It's so fun to see you after, I think the last time we saw each other was in the conference in November, and we were just saying how it's been a crazy, <laughs> crazy, we're already in March, how's that possible? And I'm so happy you're here with us today. And I think I just want to start out, I mentioned to folks in the intro that you are on the County Council of Richland County, South Carolina, beautiful state of South Carolina. Just for people's awareness who don't know, where is Richland County? Correct. Richland County is actually in the center of our state. It's where most folks know of Columbia, South Carolina. You've heard is the capital of South Carolina, home of the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, which is also home to the college women's basketball championship team coached by Don Staley. (laughs) That's here in Columbia, South Carolina. And Richland County is the county seat for our capital. That's awesome. And we should just shout out because it's actually how we met each other that your former mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, New Deal honorary co-chair Steve Benjamin this week was announced as the new director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. So we will give him a shout out this morning as well. Yes, definitely. Always shout out Steve when you can. You know, he's been he's been wonderful to New Deal as a New Deal leader. He did introduce us to you. So we'll say that for today. That was that's one of his best accomplishments for us. So I want to talk a little bit, Jessica, about just how you got into public service. You're relatively new on the council. You ran in a special election in 2020, but you started out in local government on the staff side doing comms and economic development. So is this kind of something you always thought you wanted to do to run for office or how did that come about for you? That's a unique question. You're right. I started out in local government, you know, at a young age, going to college, kind of worked with nonprofits and really got this bug of wanting to help in my local community make things better. And I researched and found public administration was the career field for me and got my master's from USC in public administrations and went right into local government, you know, doing comms and helping out economic development, as you mentioned. And, you know, really, when you go into public administration, most folks are kind of against the elected side, right? You really want to focus on the operational side. And so 
I never really thought about it in, in that sense. I always kind of looked at my goal as operational efficiencies and working on the back end of local government and making it work for everyday folks. And as time went on and I got out of local government, COVID happened. Many of us were sitting at home and, you know, it really was a unique time in my life where I had almost like this time to sit and be still and reflect, right? Like you were at home. I was still working remotely, but I had my kids there and everything on TV at the time was about COVID and what was happening, what changes, the uncertainty. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And then we were right in the midst of a huge election, right? What was going to happen? And so at this point, we kind of gotten through June, we were through the primaries, and the representative that I had at that time, my county seat, he passed away. And when I heard about it, it was at that point where I said, you know what? I want to make sure that where we're going is the right place. Is this going to be, you know, my husband and I moved here and bought a house here. And we're committed to staying here. My kids have two young kids. I'm like, is this going to turn out right for my kids? Is this going to create a direction for Richland County where we need to go? Because there's so much uncertainty. And it was at home where I told myself, Jessica, stop being the person that talks about it and get up and do something. And that's really, I think it was just the timing of how everything happened that inspired me. I said, okay, get up, use your skill set and go help to make sure that the county gets on track. Yeah. I want to spend so much more talking about what that means and what that looks like. But I think it's interesting because I think a lot of our listeners, some of our staff members of for elected officials. So, you know, what was that transition like for you? And was there anything that surprised you about going from kind of back of the house to out being more public facing and being an elected official? What's that been like? Yeah, it's unique in the sense, you know, I ran in a special election during COVID, which is very different than most. You know, if you haven't had to run during COVID, it was a, a this was early on too, before we had really access to true vaccinations like that. And so, you know, you weren't, folks weren't opening the doors for you to talk. You weren't having town hall meetings, you weren't gathering. And so really trying to get out and and communicate with people during COVID was very different than, you know, what I envisioned. And even the county buildings, most of them were closed. How you were handling and and doing daily business and, and county operations had changed. And when I started on local government, I worked for a small municipality in South Carolina. And the county, Richland County, is currently right now the third largest county in South Carolina. So a very big difference in the population, the budget size, and just true scope of everyday work. And so to come in and be able to look and understand all that the county has to manage, and even some things that they have to manage that they have no control over. There are several departments that we manage that the state controls that we just have to fund and house them, right? So I would definitely say the scale of which was way larger than when I worked in local government. So it was a a lot more to learn. And then Richland County sits in the capital of the state. So right across, you know, right down the street from county buildings and chambers is a state house which is a whole different set of internal politics. Most folks can be in their county and not really have to deal with state politics on a daily basis. But when your county seat is in the capital of the state, you know, you compete oftentimes with what's happening right at the state house down the street from. That's super interesting. 
If you came in, I know yours was a special, but that same cycle, there was a boatload of change on your council, if I read that right. I think like half the council turned over, including a number of incumbents getting beaten. Correct. What was that about? Was that a statement? Was that just a series of, you know, individual races that all had their own dynamics? Or was that, you know, what was the context for that big change? I think it was a statement. We have an 11 member body and five new folks came in at one time. And it was, I think we saw with COVID folks' mindsets changed and they really wanted local government to work for them. And I think some of the incumbents that have been here in the past have been seated for a very long time. And I think, you know, constituents, residents wanted a little more than what they were seeing. Yeah. Voters were the term limits, right? No term limits. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I got that. There's one other thing I want to ask you before I talk about more, you know, kind of more of an issue area front. You just were in January reelected for second year as vice chair of the council. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so what if for just for people who don't know what that means, like what does that role mean in terms of extra responsibilities or your job? Yeah, so with vice chair of our county council, you really serve to assist the chair when the chair is not able to attend functions or speak on behalf of the body. You are there to assist. I help to oversee public hearings where the public is involved to give feedback and commentary. And then also there are some key committees that I serve on to help with oversight as well. Got it. It's exciting. It is exciting. It's definitely exciting. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that, you know, kind of what you think people were asking for when you came in and as you've been talking about kind of this transition with COVID, what were some of the issues that, you know, kind of both were more of the immediate nature of, of kind of handling emergency we're in this pandemic and then also some of the long-term challenges you see coming out of COVID? Yeah, I think what a lot of folks issues they had was had to deal with growth in Richland County. Sitting in the capital seat, there's been a lot of growth in Richland County. We have three universities here. University of South Carolina is the largest. We tend to see a lot of our graduates leave and not necessarily stay here for work, but we then attract young families. So we have a lot of young professionals, you know, say early 30s, moving here, looking to settle down and raise families. And so we saw tremendous amount of growth to happen in different parts of the county that were away from the city center. So where I live, I represent Northeast Columbia, which is for the past five years has been the fastest growing part of the county where we have a lot of younger families coming in. And it's also very racially diverse. And that's not something you would oftentimes see in the core of our county where you look at in the sea limits, but out in the Northeast where folks are growing, they're not from the area necessarily, they're not from South Carolina, but they're moving here, finding that our schools are good, the cost of living is good, and they want to settle. But with that growth also comes the how to keep up with the infrastructure. What about quality of life? Are we providing the things that folks want to see when they move here? Can they get around with transportation? And so I think those were the issues that folks really wanted to see a plan of growth for the county. Within our state, the other major, I think, cities that people hear of are Charleston, South Carolina, and Greenville, South Carolina. And historically, those areas of the state, they've done well with the growth. They've had the growth. They've had, you know, the new restaurants and parks and facilities. 
And folks have loved it. And many times folks in Richland County are saying, well, why isn't that happening here? And there just hadn't been a plan. And so that's a lot of what I ran on is, is really coming in and establishing a plan. Where are we going? We have the growth. People want to live here. They want to work here. They want to play here. But what is the plan to make sure that we can provide that quality of life and infrastructure so that they can continue to stay here and enjoy it while they're here? Yeah. How's and going. It's a hard thing to do to sometimes get everybody on the same page to rally around a vision going forward. It is a hard thing to do. And that's one of the things when I got on council that I pushed for is to set up a strategic planning ad hoc committee, which I chaired and really focused on a strategic plan. We worked with a consultant and came in and had several full day work sessions where we really sat down as a body and talked about the needs of our different districts. And at the end of last year, we did approve a strategic plan for the next three years for the county, which is a very happy that council did it. We all agreed on the plan, which is great. And this year, we started off the year with meeting together two days to really look at that plan and actually align it to our budget and our goals. And that's something that council in the past had done before. They really had made plans. They didn't necessarily follow the plans, but now we have a plan and we have a council that's committed to actually aligning it with its budget so that we can actually accomplish some of those things we have in our plan. Well, that's super exciting about the plan and that you've got that division. And, you know, I'm just really interested, you know, we've been talking a lot about New Deal kind of, you know, how to make sure people understand when government works, you know, because I do think there's some kinds of disconnect, you know, people know what they're frustrated by. You're obviously talking about clearly people were frustrated enough where you live to, you know, kind of change their council representation and try to go in a different direction. You know, how do you think about trying to engage the public or make sure that the public knows what's working well? And, you know, because it is, you know, I think I frankly, just to put it in broader context for one second, you know, I really feel like we're people who believe that government can do good things, which you and I both do, are fighting against 30 years, I think of a very deliberate attempt to say that government is the problem. And so I kind of feel like it's we have a special responsibility of people who know that government can do good things to make sure it's working well, and then to make sure people know when it's working well. And so, you know, that's a lot to throw at you once. But you know, how do you think about your role as like being liaison to people understanding what you're doing and getting on board and being excited about it? I completely agree. And that is really a, a foundation of how I even came to study public administration and started working in local government is because of my initial journalism communications background. I felt like I would sit back and I would see governments spend all this time coming up with these great policies and then they would fail. And they would fail simply because, well, you never communicated to residents what you created, how they could use it, and how it would benefit them. So it wasn't oftentimes, now sometimes the policies were bad, but there were also times where there were really good policies, but it was never communicated to the public of how it benefited them. And that was why I got into local government and wanted to be in public information, a PIO, and economic development is to help tell the story of how local government works for you. And I'm a true believer in local government, right? Like I'm, I'm not necessarily one of these, you know, DC politicians. I've never lived in DC, never worked in DC, but I truly believe local government impacts, you know, a person's daily life. And you, if your local government is working well, you'd be amazed at how happy you feel, right, about government because 
when you look at if your trash is getting picked up on time, when your water works well, when you have you know good recreation and park services, all that is your local government. And that often is what's really important. And so I definitely agree with public engagement, communication is key in local government and it working for you. And that is what I also go out and just talk with my constituents about is ultimately I want to help educate you on what it is that you have, because you have some really, really great programs here that really just no one told you that they've existed and how you can use them and making sure that you're engaged in the process. Richland County has over 60 boards and commissions. They're always talking like they're open. There are opportunities for you to be involved on board and commission and for you to give your voice and help guide. You don't have to be an elected official. You can serve on this commission and help guide where you want the county to go. Most people don't know that exists. And so I do believe that communication education piece, those simple things that I try to, you know, just do with social media and HOA meetings, it can help. It helps change people how they feel and, and get them involved. Yeah, I think it's so important. And, you know, I do feel like local government has such an impact on people's quality of life because of all the things you said, the things that they touch every day, their transportation, their trash, their parks. They absolutely. I do think it's an interesting time in terms of thinking about the federal local partnership, right? We are actually speaking, I think this is going to air next week, which will be the a couple of days before the second anniversary of the American Rescue Plan dollars that came to counties and cities from the federal government with the Biden administration's leadership and some of that directly to cities and counties to help with some of the stuff. So I'm curious whether it's ARPA or the bipartisan infrastructure deal or anything else like that. How do you think about the federal local partnership, particularly in things like you're talking about this big transportation infrastructure investment that's needed to keep up and to support that growth you're talking about? How does that work or how do you think about it? I think the ARPA dollars that we have received from President Biden has been huge, especially for our county. That partnership in a time when COVID happened, which really no one has experienced, right? No one knew. There was no playbook to tell you what to do. And in many cases, especially for us locally, we had to develop an entire new playbook now. What happens when a pandemic occurs? How do we still operate and to have those funds come in, it is helping us truly, especially with affordable housing. It's helping us with public safety and even looking at infrastructure pieces. We're helping us with a 911 center. And so there's many different pieces that we just wouldn't have been able to do without that funding. And so last week, yeah, it was, oh no, it was actually this week. My week has gone by so fast. Earlier this <laughs> week, Vice President Harris visited South Carolina to talk about the broadband initiative that, you know, Representative Clyburn and has worked with the president to help bring broadband to our state. South Carolina is a largely rural state. And to be able now to expand broadband and to make it affordable for everyone, that wouldn't have happened without that federal partnership. So yeah, it's definitely super important. Let's switch gears for a second from policy to politics. <laughs> Speaking of Vice President Harris and, and President Biden, so South Carolina has been a hugely important political state. Obviously, it was huge in Biden's first election. And now you're potentially poised to even be have a bigger role if the calendar changes, primary calendar changes. I think the question I want to ask maybe that people would be interested in is kind of from someone sitting in this state, what do you think national Democrats should know about what it takes for people to be successful nationally who are you know, running for national offices when they come to South Carolina? What are people looking for? 
That's a good question. You know, I, I remember actually when we were together back in November, that's when this first actual even came up. This South Carolina may even be, you know, considered. And so for it to even progress to where we are now, I think South Carolina and our voters here are a, a true kind of reflective base of what you would see. I mean, when you look at the number of African-Americans here, you know, and even our population, the mix of it, where we have some rural, but we have some urban areas. And I think it's a, a good reflection. But I also think, you know, South Carolina Democrats are maybe a little different in the sense of you don't see the true, I guess, far left Democrats here. You know, we're still considered in the Bible Belt in South Carolina. And, you know, you have a lot of Democrats that are, you know, very religious. And I think you'll see a little bit different stance. On those things. But I think for national level, for you to come in and come to South Carolina, being able to you know, sit and talk locally here with folks and understand the local issues and have that time to not understand that it's not all national here. It's not a lot of national politics here. Yeah. Interesting to see how it all plays out. I was very careful to not take a stand. You know, we've got New Deal leaders in Iowa, New Hampshire. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's out there, out there. Uh, but yeah. well, I'm trusting on our South Carolina Jamie Harrison <laughs> to make it all happen. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> it's a really important state, regardless of where you are in the calendar. Absolutely. Correct. Yes. That's right. And I guess the other thing that maybe I wanted to talk about, we're also talking during the beginning of Women's History Month, and which I think is, you know, something that, you know, it's a great time to just reflect. And you are, I talked about you being vice chair, I talked about your being new on the council. I did not tell anyone yet. I don't think that you are also the youngest African-American woman on the council ever. Is that true? Ever? Ever. Ever, which is just amazing. So you, you're making history in your own right on that. You know, kind of as you think about your role in council, particularly maybe as a younger person, kind of, you know, what's your thought on, I just, I'm excited by, I'm going to say this for a second. I'm excited by what I'm seeing across the country, which is really a progression in terms of the diverse voices that are being elected. And I mean that in every sense of the word, gender, race, age, to your point about, you know, South Carolina, like, I think there's just, we're seeing more of a reflection of our population finally in in, in elected office, way more needed. But, you know, I think it's just going in the right direction. So I'm curious if it kind of you're seeing that in South Carolina and how you feel about, you know, your voice as part of the council being in that kind of historic role. Yeah, well, I will say so we have 11 seats on council and our council actually has six women. And so I am one of six, which I think is amazing, but it's also unique in South Carolina where we still are a majority male led when we look at our elected bodies. And that's from, you know, the state house down to the county and local municipality level. And so to even serve on a county where we have essentially a majority women is a huge, huge deal. It does show that, especially I think in Richland County, which I will say Richland County is a democratic county in South Carolina where majority or not. But I think you do see that here where you see the shift. You see the change of our population and residents here wanting to see something different, wanting to see something more reflective of what they have, where they see young women professionals working. They want to see a reflection of that on council. And we'll say that piece, you know, when we look at moving forward and in future policies and things that I'm really passionate about is looking at how, as a working mom, 
the things that are important and that I would like to see and that I think others like me need. And childcare is an issue that, yes, that I've talked about and continue to talk about and look as future policies to help create, but COVID impacted childcare as well. And when COVID happened and when school shut down, when daycare shut down and folks had to go home, you saw many women leave the workplace to stay home and take care of children. Some have gone back, but not in the numbers at which they were before. And childcare, in my mind, is a huge part of economic development. And we're talking about you know, wanting to attract jobs and growth. That should be jobs and growth for everyone. And childcare availability and affordability is something that I want to see and, and work to bring to our county. Making sure that when employers come in, that there is childcare set up for them, that they're offering, whether it be some type of childcare incentive or voucher or program so that they can truly attract all employees, right? That's something that we want to be able to write. These high paying jobs should be available to everyone and childcare shouldn't be something that, that stops them. So I think that's, you know, something that just purely as a young working mother, I have a nine-year-old or six-year-old that I fully understand, right? If I didn't have childcare, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm doing, but also good quality child care. Yes. Where people think where they can, if they feel, I mean, as, and I'm, I'm also a working mother, so I completely am sitting here nodding as Jessica's talking vigorously. And, you know, I totally agree. And it's that quality child care. It's also an affordable child care. And, you know, I could go on and on. I was so shocked when I had children. I was like, this is our system. Like I have to like, God bless you, go figure it out kind of system, you know? So I think that that's exactly right. And I just, you know, I love talking to some of the younger New Deal leaders because, you know, whether it's childcare, whether it's, you know, renting as opposed to owning, just whatever the issue is, right? I think your point is this, is to have people who have that lived experience as part of the discussion and dialogue and bringing the issues that maybe do not affect everybody else in their body. I think it's just so important. It's like, you know, how else do we tackle some of these things if you don't have people who are experiencing and living it, you know, and bringing it to the forefront, right? So thank you for that, you know. And I know maybe just the last question on kind of the Women's History Month. I know you've been involved in a lot of, you know, kind of wonderful groups like Emerge and other, you know, groups that are out there to help women run for office. So I'll just kind of let you put in a plug if there's any other groups out there that you feel like are doing a great job to get more women elected that you've been a part of. I'll let you shout those out too. No, well, definitely. I was a strong supporter of Emerge. I was on the first board for Emerge South Carolina when they came to South Carolina and helped train many of the women in our state who are running for office, helped train them on just communications and planning of that. But, you know, overall, I think women being able to represent, you know, for us, being able to represent on the state level or even locally is needed. You know, without that voice, there's a true, true void. And I will say as a woman who sits and works beside other women right now, that we do have a really, really good ability to learn how to talk and compromise and figure out and find solutions. Oftentimes better than our male counterparts who sometimes want to continue the argument rather than getting to a solution. So I'm always excited to see more women stepping up to run. You know, I think it's definitely timing is key for a lot of people. You know, as as women, you wear a lot of hats and you have to figure it all out, what what works for you. But 
I think when you find the right time and you find the position that you're passionate about, you know, to go out there and really step up and fill in a void to speak for a voice of people is always needed, especially, especially in South Carolina. Yeah. And you did it. You put your money where your mouth was. You stepped up. Thank you for stepping up. Thank you for serving. It's not easy to juggle kids and jobs and public service. So I'm just always so grateful for those folks who do it. And thank you. And I really appreciate you coming to talk to me today on Honorable Profession. It's great to see you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate New Deal and all you guys continue to do for folks like me. So thank you. Thank you. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. Thanks to the team at New Deal for producing this episode. We encourage you to bring honor to public service. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars are used in the making of this podcast.